Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast. I'm your host, Steve Adams, and I want to welcome you. But I am here to introduce this podcast because I want to provide to you sort of a pre-announcement, something that we're pretty excited about around here. Colleen will be joining me probably sometime in May, full-time in the ministry. That's exciting. Of course, with it, it holds a transition for something that she's been doing for almost 12 years, and that is serving the underserved in our community at a local mission on their leadership team. And so, yes, uh, bittersweet for sure, but really excited about what God's going to do in this next season. So in a way to sort of honor that, I am going to play for you in this podcast an interview that she did just a month or so ago in the second season of a podcast that they do at the mission. It's called Restores. Uh, What we're calling this is Restored to be Restores. And Colleen is talking about a specific individual who you'll meet, Sharon, in this podcast, and the transformational journey that she experienced through her time at the mission, but just what God did. It was an amazing story. And so I thought it would be awesome for you to be hearing a little bit more about that, to be able to share it with anybody else that you think would benefit from just understanding uh, what the power of the Holy Spirit, what God can do in each one of our lives. So um, she will be joining me, uh, Colleen, sometime most likely in May, doing podcasts together, but a lot of other things in our ministry, online, offline. But I thought this one instance will be great to just have her come to you and show you a little bit about what's been going on in her life for so many years and the people that she's had the pleasure to impact. Within probably five to six years of that happening is what drove me to um, heroin. And I used to try to describe it to my husband that um, I said, I feel like I'm in this big spider web and I'm stuck in there. From that dark place, I never would have thought I'd make it this far. Hi, I'm Jack Crowley, the president of Water Street Mission in Lancaster City. Welcome to the Restorers podcast. Today, we're going to be listening to one of our guest stories, Sharon. And as we know, all of our guests have a unique journey and a unique story to tell. But we can also learn from those stories things that uh, are common across many of our guests, but also ourselves and our community and our county. So join us today as we learn more about Sharon and about our own journey on the Restorers podcast. I want to give a special thank you to our season two sponsors. MHEB Incorporated, Amish Gazebos, Espen Shade Farms, and Espen Shade Mills. To learn more about our sponsors, visit wsm.org backslash podcast. Well, with us today is Colleen Adams, our VP of Programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, excited to have you with us, Colleen. Oh, yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I, mm-hmm. I know you're going to have some insights way beyond what I would have and, mm-hmm. uh, and help us just have a better understanding of some of our guests here at Water Street and the journeys they're on. So yeah. let's get yeah. started. Uh, we were stationed in Charleston, South Carolina. We moved from New Jersey, and my husband was still active duty. And I started teaching. I started substitute teaching, and I fell in love with doing that. I taught special needs. Things were great. Um, And then he was away overseas, and um, I was jogging with my dog, and I'm not a jogger, and I fell, and 
uh, broke a bone in my foot. I got um, hooked on pain pills, it, in, in short. So um, didn't know that would ever be a problem. And I started liking them. Once the pain was gone and better, I felt like I was missing it if I didn't take it. Uh, so I said, I called it my happy pill. So whenever I didn't feel happy, I took it or I felt stressed, I took one. Um, and not realizing that it was becoming a problem or an issue. So there's lots of stereotypes out there of, you know, who, who is, who are these people who are homeless, somebody who's yeah. going to water street for help. Sharon probably doesn't look like a lot of those stereotypes, nor does the beginning of her story sound like a lot of those stereotypes. How, how common is that to, that we would have guests just like Sharon? Oh my goodness. I actually think like as people are processing what they're seeing of the opioid crisis, um, there are so many Sharons. You know, that's I think the difference um, in people who get hooked on heroin, they get hooked on heroin because they had an injury and they started on, you know, readily available um, narcotics, then the next thing you know, they need more and more. Right. And heroin is the only thing cheap enough. Right. And so, um, yeah. Well, and she starts, I mean, she talks about, you know, it was for the pain. It yes. worked great for the pain. Yes. But then I just kind of like the way I feel mm -hmm. when I'm on these. Mm -hmm. And it became, she, she joked about it being her happy pill. Yeah. That I'm not feeling happy. Mm -hmm. I'll get a little boost from this. Is, yeah. is that common that people like the seriousness of it gets lost and, mm -hmm. and people take it really lightly mm -hmm. when they're dealing with really strong narcotics or, or yeah. uh, opioids to deal with pain. I, I think the misunderstanding um, is what happens to all of us when we have any kind of addictive substance and it's around dopamine. So your mm -hmm. dopamine goes up and eventually um, if you use it just keeps increasing. So if like, 10 is everybody's normal, um, the drugs actually take you to 100. Now I need 100 to be happy yeah. or 1,000. Yeah. You so know, that feeling you of well-being, you need more to get Absolutely, just because okay. dopamine is really, you know, the happy hormone. And so it's not that somebody's like, oh, I just want to. It's the physical dependence of I feel really bad all the time now. Mm. But the only time I felt okay was – which wasn't the place that, you know, she would have started. And so right. it really, you know, the, the biological piece of this is huge. And that is super common yeah. um, in addictions other than um, heroin. I mean, that it really is the dopamine piece that gets adjusted in your brain. And so you have dependence more from that yeah. than anything yeah. else. Let's listen in to the next piece of Sharon's story. Things got worse and worse. And we were living down south and... Charleston. So um, it led to more drugs and wrong people. And I didn't realize how bad I thought everybody was my friend. So it turned our lives upside down. And slowly but surely, it led me to all the wrong people and places. And, and I don't know, it just led me into a whole nother world. The deeper I got, because once I couldn't get them per, by prescription, I someone said, oh, well, we, we can help you get them. You just have to pay for them. Um, so it was made very easy for me to get. So even with prescription opioids, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, that ability to get them after your prescription wears out. I know there's, mm-hmm. there's been movement around how doctors are prescribing opioids mm-hmm. and, and warnings. There's, there's been legislation passed about tracking mm-hmm. to make sure that people aren't, you know, just persisting on it, yeah. but it leads to this other market. Does that exist in Lancaster? Is it just as easy anywhere to get those opioid drugs to find okay. another way to get it, even if your doctor stops prescribing it? It, it is very easy for anybody. I mean, any of us could walk out our door um, and be connected. It's not like you have to go find the CD section. Mm-hmm. Um, it is common in our schools. It's common all over. Um, and so, no, the, the problem that moves people actually to non-prescription drugs, even though these are prescription that right. are being illegally sold, they're so expensive. Yeah. Like if you're yeah. hooked on, you know, Oxycontin um, and your insurance is paying for it, when you go out on the street, that may be $20 for like one pill. One pill. Wow. And you might, yeah. you know, and you're constantly increasing yeah. needing more. So eventually you can't even afford the prescription drug. But right. at that point, the addiction's got you. And if you go, now I'm driven to go to the CD court to get something stronger. And Sharon, uh, it got worse for her. Mm -hmm. So let's let's hear what happened. Within probably five to six years of that happening is what drove me to um, heroin. I couldn't believe I found myself doing that, but I, it numbed me. It made me feel good. And I thought, okay, yeah. I, I hated myself. So the more I hated myself, the more I wanted to do it. So, and I didn't want to be that person. And I used to try to describe it to my husband that, um, I said, I feel like I'm in this big spider web and I'm stuck in there and I get slowly. I'm trying to escape and get out of it. I get so close and then I just, something happens and I go back to it. So, um, from that dark place, I never would have thought I'd make it this far. Sharon mentioned this concept of feeling like she was in a spider web. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that how does that resonate with you? Does that feel like a, an accurate description for many of our guests who are dealing with addiction? I think it does. I would I would broaden out that how many of us? I mean, I don't eat sugar because I realized at one point I am addicted to sugar. I will go to it when you know, um, upset about something, it's something I run to and it's not God. And to me, that's the core of all of this that brings it together is we all run to something that's not Mm -hmm. God, um, to soothe or whatever. And so, um, and then you feel stuck. Uh, and you know, so what she's saying is common because the other part of addiction that I think we can relate to, if we say sugar did this to me, is that um, all your willpower uh, is not going to break the addiction, Mm. and we think it will, but the reality is some of the physical addiction and just some of the the pain we're trying to hide, in all honesty, um, has to be dealt with. And I think you see people getting Mm. deeper and deeper into all kinds of things. Um, And then it it can be a description like that. I've heard probably the thing we hear the most, um, and it's more true with chronic alcoholics than even people, you know, um, on drugs is, you know, I've had 
former guest call me and say, can you pray for me? Like I'm in hell right now. Mm. And the person's drunk and I'm like, well, tell me what that's like. And we'll talk about it. I mean, now the person's not totally, but we go through it. You know, we talk about the power they have in Christ, but more and more the depiction of I'm in hell and I can't get out. Who is the person? Because I'm not even worthy to get out. Can you help me? Um, and so that's probably more common, but it's kind of this stuck place. And I think when, you know, because society says you're bad, you know, Mm. we have pretty sins Mm. and we have ugly sins and yours are the ugly (laughs) ones. Um, you're bad, then we are so unworthy to, to even sometimes even ask for help. And And it's really self-perpetuating because I'm not worthy. So why don't I just give into it? And yeah, it's, it's painful to think about. And, and I think it's important what you mentioned, like that addictive pattern can happen a lot. Of, and some addictions are a little bit more socially acceptable than others. Correct. Right. And some of the implications and consequences of certain addictions are way worse. Oh, and, yeah. And so yeah. we don't always choose, but it, it often leads to some some pretty rough places. Yep. Um We're going to go back and hear some more from Sharon. Fast forward in time a little bit. She's gone through rehab Mm -hmm. um, and kind of taken the next steps, and um, then we'll see what happens. And I didn't know what to do, so I called the VA, and they told me there's a place I could go before they would take me as an inpatient, and they mentioned this place, Water Street Mission, and I didn't know what a mission was. I had no idea. And uh, I arrived at the mission, frazzled and just felt abandoned and lonely and lost and I was clean already two weeks so I wasn't even thinking about drugs um and they just welcome you with open arms here I I just immediately felt relaxed I had to go through um a 30-day process in order to get into residential um, I loved it. It was like getting a college transcript. And I thought, okay, these, these things sound interesting. I like that, that thought of, there was a, a moment of hope she was feeling there, uh, mm-hmm. even as she stepped into residential, but the years of addiction, uh, had done something to her, like just not knowing where to turn. I'm out. Okay. I'm out of rehab, but what do I do? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. Maybe even her sense of self. What do, what does years of addiction do to somebody's sense mm-hmm. of self? Well, I mean, I think it is, Satan's greatest ploy to steal our identity from us. Um, and so depending how long you go in, um, it, people describe almost having less and less of themselves. Um, any kind of worthiness, um, usually incredible shame, and they've, you know, uh, let God down. They certainly oftentimes um, are not turning to the church or are not being welcomed, you know, um, and society's looking down. So they come in, um, in pretty bad shape, not even understanding, uh, that there could be something they couldn't control. And actually what they can't control is not necessarily the drug. We start to give them the hope of some of what we know now for like the past 30 years is that the trauma basis, um, in, all kinds of uh, addictions is a commonality. And so when you give the hope that, Hey, there's a different way we can help you get under some of this stuff, you just see hope flourish and, you know, and then just loving people. Yeah. Regardless. I was going to say, and it it starts with that first welcoming touch. Like I I appreciate how Sharon mentioned, she just Mm -hmm. felt welcomed with open arms and how important that is 
foundationally before mm-hmm. you can start rebuilding that sense of self, just yeah. to be welcomed as, yep. as who you are. When uh, to be looked at as a person worthy of somebody else even looking at you. Yeah. You know, and so our approach totally is love people like crazy where they're at. And, and honestly, that is such a game changer because they start to question, should I, can I be worthy? Yeah. So absolutely. Let's, let's hear more of her journey with us. At first I felt guilty because a lot of bits and pieces of other people's stories had a lot of trauma and stuff in their childhood. And I felt guilty that I had the most wonderful childhood. I, I thought I was a princess and you know, my father was there for me all the time and my mother and just, I just couldn't imagine, but Pastor Booth, you know, I, and I learned in the class too, it's okay. Cause it's my journey. I kept focusing on my marriage and it took me a year to give it up to God because he knows what's best and I can't fix it. I have to fix me. And it took a year. So, and I don't care if it takes 10 years and I still have work to do on myself. Couple different things that pop out in there. One is that that first that sense of comparison. Yeah, she felt guilty because she didn't have the kind of trauma that others did. Right. Not that she had no trauma, but like right. we do compare and like. Oh, oh yeah. I, I understand how they ended up struggling, but like mm-hmm. uh, you feel worse about yourself because mm-hmm. you don't have that. Is that is that common? Do you see that comparison happening? Yeah, I mean, well, it's human nature since the fall that I'm always going to find the people who are above me that I need to take down and the people below me that I can trample. Mm. And so if you're struggling to see, you know, you're starting to feel, well, some people are accepting me. Maybe I have a little bit of worth. You just go into that pattern of, you know, well, I'm a little bit better than them. Mm. And so maybe I am worthy. Um, And so, you know, we see that all the time when it becomes problematic is when somebody comes and they say, I'm not like them. I don't need to do the work. They have it bad. And there's not an acknowledgement that we each have things to work on. Although even with her, it felt like seeing that it wasn't that she felt better than it's like Mm -hmm. she felt worse about herself Mm -hmm. that she had fallen to the same place, but didn't have like almost excuses. Like, Mm -hmm. well, I I wasn't abused as a child. I wasn't so like, if I had fallen to addiction because of that, Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Yeah. But like the shame that comes from that. And I think, again, Mm -hmm. it's like Satan's going to grab a hold of whatever Mm -hmm. to try to bring shame into our lives, to try to bring a a lower sense of who we are and our worthiness of God and of of anything Mm -hmm. good in our lives. He's going to grab a hold of it. And we saw Mm -hmm. that in Sharon. Mm -hmm. I think um, she starts speaking to her marriage a little bit here because obviously there were consequences, not just for her, but for her whole family oh, of absolutely. what she went yeah. through. Yeah. And um, she she made a statement in there of giving up her marriage to God. What, mm-hmm. what do you think she meant by that? Oh, well, I know <laughs> what she meant because fortunately, unlike, you know, I don't meet um, all of our shelter guests. Um, I certainly don't meet them within a day of them coming, but I met right. her within a day and she was obsessed with not doing what she needed to do for herself, but you know, what was going on with her husband and which, you know, she had to have her husband and, and it was such a consistent message to all of us on such a regular basis to go Sharon, like God has something incredible for you and for your marriage, Mm -hmm. you know, if your husband chooses to reconcile, but the way to have everything that you want is to do your journey. Mm -hmm. 
he can't help you. Yeah. He knows, yeah. that, you know, and it, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but he can't help you. It was wise for him to say, you got to do some work on yourself. But it took us a long time to just keep refocusing her. Mm. She was interesting, though, because um, she grabbed her journey right away. Mm. And then you would have this kind of vacillating going back and forth. And so we would just redirect Stuff. her. Yeah. Yeah. And the beautiful thing was, you know, her husband was right there waiting for her. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's awesome. hard. And, and, and I know I've heard that story among our guests too, of mm-hmm. they get so focused on like everything out there and right. the damage sometimes that they're responsible for. Oh yeah. I've got to go fix that. Yep. But they still haven't walk through their own journey yet. They haven't right. gotten to a place of, of being healthy themselves yep. to step back in to all the difficulty that they're going to face mm-hmm. in rebuilding those relationships. Mm-hmm. But Sharon uh, continued on with us and then yep. she's since kind of taken on some new things in life. So let's, yeah. let's hear the next part of Sharon's journey. Colleen mentioned Willow Valley. And when they called me and um, HR, they said, we just want you to come by so we can talk to you. She said, we're very forgiving here and we love your resume and we want you to work here and just feel a connection. And I just know God put me there. I, it was a wonderful feeling to know this is where, this is why I'm here. So you played a role. (laughs) That's kind of fun to hear. Um, but yeah, and, and to hear that there's a, a, uh, an employer who would introduce themselves as forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. fantastic yeah. to hear. Sharon's working now at Willow Valley in the dementia ward and she loves her job. Yep. I've heard her talk about it. Um, how important is it to find something fulfilling? And I'm not just talking about like income producing, but, but something fulfilling to do with your life in terms of recovery, in mm-hmm. terms of being able to stay in a healthy mm-hmm. place there. Mm-hmm. I, I would, um, take what what Sharon has discovered I wouldn't necessarily call it fulfilling it is when you're doing what God has called you to do it's always going to be fulfilling but I think our focus um, vocationally is really understanding the purpose that God created you for you're part of a greater story what's your contribution to that greater story and we try to get people off of what will make me happy because happy is not permanent and we talk a lot about joy which is putting god in his rightful space realizing he created us for a purpose and um and i think you hear that pretty and and it's not always easy to find those right places no i guess i'm assuming it's kind of a tough journey yeah yeah Yeah. well i think it's why um in our step-up program which does a lot of the career um counseling and coaching um, is, you know, the focus on, we've had some great partners that said, if you have somebody and they want to do this kind of work. Mm. And so we take, I mean, that's really helpful because we have people who are not going to shame guests. They're going to receive them. They're going to help disciple them. And, um, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So it's purpose and environment that can play a big role in it. Yeah. We've got one more clip from Sharon. Let's hear this last piece. Right now, God has given me my daughter, our relationship is so strong. Um, we talk every day. We FaceTime twice a day. Um, my husband and I are together celebrating. It'll be 33 years, I think. If I'm wrong, it's 32, but I think it's 33 years um, in November. And I am so grateful that he stuck by me and didn't give up on me. 
I'm always wanted to be a grandmother. I'm a grandmother. Um, and I just love them so much. That's all I do. I, we go to work, we come home, our weekends off. We try to go visit our grandkids. Um, busy, busy, busy. Time is flying too fast. I just have more appreciation for everything, joy and hope. You have to never give up hope. There's always hope for better. It's so exciting to hear and see the reconciliation that Sharon experienced with her family. Um, yeah. it, it's amazing to watch and having met her husband and mm -hmm. just, it, it brings incredible joy. Is that a common thing? Uh, like, let's be real with mm -hmm. our guests. There's a lot of brokenness in their families. Is yeah. reconciliation the norm? Um, no. Unfortunately, I would say, you know, depending on what's happened, she spent a relatively short period of time in addiction. I mean, it sounds right. long and it is yeah. from her experience, but um, the unfortunate thing about addiction is it robs you of all your important relationships. You burn every bridge yeah. with anybody who is healthy or could help you. And so if you can't reestablish a new kind of friend, you're going to go back to the people you either used with. And, um, and so it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And if you have not really done the work to heal and work it, you're going to have repeat relapses. It's not uncommon for relapse to be a part of the process yeah, of getting well. Yeah. And so if you're somebody who had invested a lot, like a family member, and you're just so grieved and going, I can't do this anymore, you are waiting for the person to prove themselves. Right. And so oftentimes... A and lot you of may that have is lived through restored. two or three cycles of, of relapse or more. Yes. And, and so the trust takes so long to rebuild. Yeah. 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 I think what I think is so incredible about her story um, is that her husband was able to draw a boundary to mm -hmm. say, this is not healthy. Yeah. He didn't try to stay and go, I'm going to fix it. Or right. he was like, clearly, this is your problem. He did not commit. He was going to be there. But I think in a way, you know, he understands covenant and always loved her, but he was strong enough to draw the boundary and say, you've got to get well. Yeah. And, um, wow. and that's the other piece. I mean, you have to have yeah. a Christian frame to even understand forgiveness and, mm. you know, what things are about. And yeah. I think that's beautiful. I mean, we've seen some good things happen, but a lot of times so yeah. much damage oh, yeah. is done. Yeah. It's just really no. And sometimes difficult. we see, we see reconciliation with certain family members, but not all. And, yeah. and it is, it's, it's a complicated part of the journey. Yeah. Um, it, it's a blessing when you see situations like this and we've seen many, um, yeah. but it's also exciting to hear Sharon reflect on the joy that mm -hmm. she has now in her life mm -hmm. and um, that that joy doesn't come from the circumstances she's in, mm -hmm. but something deeper. Yeah. She learned. And I think this is pretty common with a lot of our guests is that, you know, God is with people every single day, not just in church on Sunday. And they've learned how he communicates uniquely with them. And you're never alone once you discover he's with you all the time and you just see him. And I think Sharon really, really got yeah. that. And so she'll notice the little things every day and post them on Facebook or yeah. like, so she's totally in tune and that's joy, that's you awesome. know? Yeah. That's so cool yeah. to see. So that's uh, kind of the end of Sharon's story for now. Obviously, it, it continues on. But yeah. um, for our episode, uh, are there any final thoughts you'd have for our audience? Just anything you'd want them to take away from mm -hmm. hearing Sharon's story and recognizing that it, it, it mirrors the story of a lot of other of our guests? Yeah. 
I've only been in the mission world for 12 years. I didn't know what a homeless person was. It felt really scary Mm. to me. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, it's just people that don't want to get up and do what they need to do. And if they're in addictions, what I found is my neighbors is people that are so dear to me. Um, And so I wonder for us as a church, if we can't really deal with, you know, start to really deal with our own kind of places where we sin because we don't put God in the God spot Mm -hmm. and we can relate to somebody and say, yeah, this is really, really hard, but the same process of loving and accepting and receiving, you know, if you're, you know, a loved one of someone who's kind of been doing a, an addictive journey for 30 years, um, to be able to receive somebody back when, you know, they're clean and they're struggling, um, I think most of the time people want to make up the 30 years. You take the addicted person and say, well, why did you do this? Right, well, they right. don't even remember right, their addiction. Right. And that just feeling of judgment constantly yeah. creates a whole lot of shame, which a lot of times triggers relapse. And so I just wonder if we can look at it um, yeah. differently to really help our brothers and sisters yeah. you know, that are struggling. And it starts by remembering they are our brothers and sisters. Amen. And that... And that their journeys aren't that far removed from our own. Just sometimes the consequences look different. So Colleen, thanks so much for joining us today, helping us gain some insights from, from Sharon's journey and Sharon, thanks for sharing your story. Oh, Sharon's Um, amazing. And, and thank you for joining us and listening in on the podcast and uh, hearing the story. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've learned a little bit and we'll see you again soon. This was another episode of the embracing brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.